Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Game Changing Mega Trends, presented by SAP, helping the world run better and improve people's lives. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game changing technologies and business strategies to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges and to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Yes, indeed, here I am, and welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers and find out what megatrends are shaping our world, you're absolutely in the right place because this is where the best run. This is going to be a fascinating topic that will affect everybody in our global listening audience, so please listen up. I have a quote from P.D. Smith, an independent researcher and writer, who wrote A Guide to the Past, Present, and Future of Cities. It was published by Bloomsbury in 2012. Here's the quote. Listen up. To be successful, a city has to be open to continuous development, free to evolve and grow with the demands of new times. Oh, my goodness. What are we talking about today? Well, of course, cities. Of course, the future. This is Megatrends. And a shout-out to Tom Conan at SAP who put together this wonderful topic. He's always right on the money when it comes to the trends we need to focus on to inform, advise, and inspire all of you around the world. So let me dive in a little more to the topic, and then I'm going to ask my three panelists to introduce themselves briefly before we use their opening quotes. So the world population population is growing, leaps and bounds. It's booming. It's soaring. It could reach 9.8 billion with a B by 2050. And almost 70% of those 9.8 billion comes to 6.7, if you do the math, will be living in urban areas. That means cities, crowding, congestion, demands, already urban infrastructures and public services may be struggling in cities to keep pace. What are they going to do in the next, oh, it's almost 2020, the next 30 years, they've got a lot to do. But we have good news. On the flip side of all of this possible crowding and demands, cities have unlimited potential. Why? Because they're dynamic networks. What's happening? Cities have the possibility to be thriving economic and cultural hubs, attract the right people, the right businesses, the right residents, the right services, and you've got places people, more people want to go. So we're looking at technology, of course, because this is Game Changers Radio. So can data uh huh, and IoT, that's what we call Internet of Things, competitively attract businesses and services to cities where people will love to live, they'll love to work, and they'll love to play. So our topic today is Megatrends, Future Cities, Where Will You Live, Work, and Play in 2050? It's something to think about. There we go. I am Bonnie D. Graham. Happy to be here. It's our second live show of today, today on Game Changers Radio, and I have three wonderful panelists. Let me just tell you their names, and then I'm going to go around the table and have them introduce themselves. We'll be hearing from Matt Brofman, B-R-O-F-F-M-A-N, Director of Innovation at the City of Orlando, Florida. I have to ask him what the weather is. I already did, but I want you to hear it. Mike Eberhard is returning to us. He's the Global Industry Principal in Public Sector at SAP Hybra Software. And rounding out the panel, like Matt, she is a newcomer, Simone Mayenfish. She told me I pronounced her name right. She's with SAP's Industry Business Unit for the public sector, and cross-industries team. So, Matt Brofman, instead of reading your bio, I'd love to have you just tell us a little bit about your role as the Director of Innovation at City of Orlando. Matt? 
Sure, Bonnie. So as a director of innovation, responsible for all sorts of uh, interesting things, but probably most importantly, uh, our resident experience. So that means everything from how residents interact with the physical built environment within our city and also how they interact with government. So that's, you know, reporting a pothole to paying a parking ticket. We want to make sure as much as possible that's a great experience for our residents. Is it a moving target, Matt, a great experience for your residents? Is it something that just changes? I know you have Orlando. I don't know if you're in the snowbird capital. My mom passed away, but she used to live in Boca for years, and that was snowbird heaven. So are you seeing a a, a seasonal population in Orlando? You see a lot of tourists, I know. Is keeping them happy a moving target for you? Just curious. Yeah, we definitely see a lot, obviously a lot, of, a lot of tourists. I think the moving target is more to do with the changing technology. And if you can, you know, order toilet paper and have it delivered in two hours, then you want to report a pothole and have it fixed pretty quickly. I like that. Thank you for that. We had a guest on a show an hour ago. We we're talking about surveys and using video surveys to sense the emotional, and not emotional intelligence, but the emotional input people have about brands. We we're talking about the customer experience now is the face and the language of of companies' brands. It's not just what you say, it's what your customers experience. And he said, yes, uh, in Europe, you're not free from surveys even when you're in a bathroom. And, of course, we all giggled. So we had bathroom surveys, and now we have automatically ordering the paper. Thank you very much, Matt, that you had no way of knowing that had just happened, but thank you for that. Let's move around the table. Mike Eberhardt, please tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. Mike, talk to me. Um, hi, Bonnie. Um, coming back, actually, from a uh, tour around um, Istanbul, Cairo, Tel Aviv, and I had a great meetings with customers from different um, areas, from the Red Crescent, Red Cross, to um, the financial departments in Israel, to a citizen engagement uh, project in, uh, in, in um, Egypt. Back at home, uh, right now we have 26 degrees, it's cloudy, it's approximately 78 Fahrenheit, and um, yeah, um, happy to be home again and on the phone with you. Well, we're happy to have you. Thank you very much. I love the weather report. I'll have to do mine a little bit later. And rounding out our panelists, Simone Mayenfish. Simone, welcome, and tell us a little bit about where you are and what you do. Thank you, Bonnie, and thanks for having me here today. Uh, well, I do work in the IT industry for the last, like, 20 years, um, but about two years ago, I was really looking for a new passion and what I want to do and where I want to go, and uh, that's where I came across the Smart and Future Cities topic, and immediately I knew that this is something that I want to do because, like you said, it's such a dynamic place. It's amazing. There's so big challenges uh, for us to solve to really um, make our cities the places that we all want to be and live in and have a good time, right, and be successful. And that's why I moved to the Future Cities team here at SAP um, in January last year. Thank you very much. Well, welcome. It's it's a very important topic. And as I said in my opening, Simone and Mike and Matt, this topic affects everybody. People are living somewhere, and many of us are already in or near cities. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. This is so booming right now that when you see a beautiful set, an area of trees, within a mile of, of my development, uh, all of a sudden, they're gone. The logs are being piled onto a truck and a new sign goes up. We're developing another set of condos or townhouses or whatever. There's one right one side of my community. Up the road, there's another one that's being built. It just 
doesn't stop. And would you believe in Durham? We, Matt, you'll appreciate this. We have traffic here. You don't want to get on Glenwood Route 70 after 4 o'clock any afternoon. You don't want to get on 40 or 540 or 85, 15 or 550. And by the way, we love to do our 80 miles an hour here. I don't know what your speed limit is in Orlando these days. <laughs> but I couldn't believe coming from Long Island, New York, Matt, that there would be actually rush hour traffic in Durham. Are you surprised, Matt? No, I think we're seeing that everywhere, right? It's, it's as people want to move into the city core and there are people that want to live a little bit further out. And, the, you know, more and more people are living in, the, in, in these cities and in these mid-sized and smaller cities. I think that's the big challenge is, you know, it's easy for New York's, Boston, San Francisco's, London's of the world to solve these pressing problems or easier. Uh, I think the challenge is how do these small and mid-sized cities do the same, like traffic. Absolutely. I, I was appalled the first time I sat in traffic here a week after I moved here. I was like, wait a minute. I just left the world's largest parking lot, the Long Island Expressway. I'm sure some of you have heard of that. Yeah, and here I am in traffic in Durham going a l- couple of inches at a time. Okay, reality check. So let's do the opening quotes now. My guests have sent me some really interesting quotes, and we're going to ask them to explain how they creatively link the quote to our topic about future cities. Matt Brofman, City of Orlando, sent the following Walt Disney quote. How appropriate, Orlando. Everybody get it. Walt Elias Disney, 1901 to 1966. He was a pioneer of the American animation industry. Yes, he created Mickey Mouse. He holds the record for the most Academy Awards earned by any individual with 22 Oscars from 59 nominations and Disney World and Walt Disney, everything Disney. So that was Walt Disney. Here's the quote. The way to get started is to quit talking and begin doing. Matt, please tell us how this fabulous, iconic Disney quote relates to our topic. I think it's the solution for cities, right, which is we can sit in smart cities conferences. We can sit in, you know, uh, a radio program like this, and we can we can talk all day long about what cities can or should or might uh, do to help deal with the pressing problems, to adapt for the changes that are coming. Uh, but the easiest, the, the best thing to do is to to do something. And I think all too often in any industry, but in particular in government, it's easy to, to talk about ideas and easy to uh, sit around the table and think what we could do. Uh, but I, I believe in our team in Orlando believes you know we got to start trying things, we got to start doing, learn quickly, fail fast, and move on from there. Ah, I love that. That's a design thinking principle, I think. Fail fast, fail often. Very interesting. I like that we can talk more about that. Matt, again, welcome. Mike Eberhardt, you sent us a wonderful quote from Alice's Adventure in Wonderland. Anybody wondering, it's commonly called Alice in Wonderland, (laughs) but the real name of the book was Alice's Adventure in Wonderland. 1865 novel written by English author Charles Lutwidge Dodgson, but we know him familiarly and lovingly as Lewis Carroll, and it tells the tale of young Alice falling through a rabbit hole into a fantasy world populated by peculiar anthropomorphic creatures. We'll just leave it there. Here's the quote. You're going to have to tell me how this relates to future cities, Mike. Have I gone mad? I'm afraid so. You're entirely bonkers, but I'll tell you a secret. All the best people are. Mike, I love this quote. I think you're talking to me. <laughs> Sorry. I took it very personally. Mike Everhart, how in the world did you pick this quote for a topic on future cities? I have to hear this one. First of all, um, I, I really love the sentence because uh, we need um, out-of-the-box thinking people. We need uh, people who are risking something. 
and are also open to make mistakes. And um, these are great people. And um, it, uh, I rely also on Matt's statement. Um, uh, we have to do something. We have to uh, be innovative. And, um, and um, the, the rabbit hole is also related to his pothole. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So do you think people who are planning these cities are the, are the mad ones who need to be bonkers to do it? Anybody who is, is planning to uh, keep a city going, to expand it, to improve the infrastructure, who's ready for this influx of masses of people over the next 30 years? Do you think they need to be truly the best people are bonkers? What's, what's your thought about that, Mike? <laughs> Yeah, I think um, um, it needs also a, um, a change in way of thinking. In the past, we had always uh, services out of, from the department, from the IT department. And um, if we really like to, to move on with uh, citizen-centric services, we have to walk in the shoes of the, of the consumer, of, of the citizen. And this means uh, it needs a, a way of changing, and it, it needs actually also fresh blood in, um, in cities. Ah, interesting, interesting. We don't want anybody falling into the rabbit hole. They might get sued by the, I don't know what. Um, yes, the city might get sued. We don't want to go there. Thank you very much. Let's move on to Simone Mayenfishin. Simone has sent us a also wonderful quote, very interesting, from Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill, you all know, British statesman, army officer, prime minister of the UK from 1940 to 45 and 51 to 55. He didn't have enough the first time around. He went back. Uh, the quote was, made by him in October 1941 in a speech at the school he attended as a boy, Harrow School, which is outside central London. Here's the quote, the version I found, Simone, so forgive me for this. I looked it up. The quote is, never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Simone, love the quote. Tell me how this applies to our future cities, please. (laughs) Yeah. Actually, you seem to found the long version. I have a very short version of it um, at my desk. It's a little magnet that I have up here for about 15 years for sure, maybe even longer. <laughs> and it just simply says, never, never, never give up. <laughs> and that quote uh, really carried on uh, through my career, through my, through my work. And it reminds me that sometimes you just have to try again, right? You may not be successful at the very first step, but you just try again. You don't give up. If you really believe in something, you have to keep on doing and, and really make it work. And it ties back to um, what we also said, right? It's about fail fast, fail often. There's no one response to future cities. There's no one who has done it. It's nothing that you can switch on and bang, you have an amazing future city and everything works like you dream of it, right? That's not how it's going to happen. It's an involving uh, topic where you can add things as we develop in technology, in communities, etc. everything. And that's uh, where I tie it back, right? It's the never, never, never give up. It may not work at the very first time in the way that you think it should work, but you just do it again. You do it better and you become the amazing place where you can offer tons of good things to the citizens and the businesses that are within your city. 
I love the optimism, and I'm I'm glad you have that as a magnet at your desk. That's that's really really cool. <laughs> I think it goes a little bit with the fail fast, fail often. Matt, you you mentioned that a few minutes ago. Fail fast uh, in terms of cities, I guess, doing experiments and trying to make things better. So thank you all for your quotes. Let's just quickly get to know our panel a little bit better. I already know where you are, I believe, all of you. So let's just find out what's your favorite beverage that really makes you happy or energizes you. I know it's only twelve nineteen here on the eastern coast of the U.S., but it could be an alcohol-based beverage. I won't say alcoholic beverage. Oh, I just said that. Sorry. could be anything. Uh, we just want to know just a little bit about you personally. So, Matt Brofman, is there a favorite drink, anything to do with your city or, or your global global awareness? Of course. Uh, it has to do with my city. So we, uh, my, my go-to drink, and, and since I'm on city time, on city salary, I will explain I'm not drinking it right now, uh, is the, uh, the, it's a Joyland uh, IPA uh, from a local craft brewery here, the Ivanhoe Brewery. And I like it not just because uh, it's a uh, great-tasting uh, beer, but also it's named after this turn-of-the-century uh, amusement park that we had in Orlando. Uh, it was around for about 10 years called Joyland. It was, uh, you can imagine, in the early 1900s, it was an outdoor uh, water park that people used to come to uh, in Orlando well before there was much of a city. Uh, great photos, really cool-looking place. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't exist anymore. I have it here. Joyland Amusement Center is a family-owned business right on the boardwalk overlooking the beach in Daytona Beach. Is that a new one? Joyland Amusement. That's a new one that they. Yeah. That's a new one they opened a good couple hours from here. But the original one, uh, I think, closed in like 1920. Uh, but it, it was. Uh, we're actually now, not surprising, goes back to the conversation we were talking about before, where there are homes and brand new apartment complexes going in today. Uh, that's, that was the original site of it. Thank you very much. Very interesting. There's all kinds of uh, sources here on the Internet for Joyland. Uh, There's a Joyland Country Music Nightclub, Joyland Amusement Center. Very interesting. Thank you. Good memories, I hope. uh, Let's go to Mike Eberhardt. Mike, we've asked you this question the many times you've been on Game Changers with me before. What's your favorite drink? Anything new in the cup or or the beer stein? Even if it's already 20 past 6 here in Switzerland, um, I'm drinking a uh, uh, Red Bull <laughs> to, to get a little bit more energized, energy, energy for, uh, for the cold. Um, um, I love Red Bull because I grew up with Red Bull. Uh, they sponsored me once uh, when I was um, uh, on my snowboard. And um, uh, I really believe, believe they are doing quite uh, interesting things, especially when it comes to marketing. And um, and I'm brand addicted. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and we were talking on my earlier show, Mike, I mentioned about how the brand is defined now by the, the customer experience. What you say on social media can help define that, ba- that brand. So are you a big advocate or evangelist for this particular drink? Yes, absolutely. Uh, um not just um, I'm um, um, following everything what they are doing. Um, they are really deep into extreme sports, and I love extreme sports, and ah. um, um, it goes along with my life. I like that. Very interesting. Very, and, and you know what the brand does. That's another extension of your, of your loyalty to the brand and your awareness and how they're impacting your life. Thank you, Simone Mayenfish. Tell us, do you have a favorite drink? I bet you do. <laughs> yeah, my favorite drink, especially now during the summer times, is actually called Heldenpause. And it's a soft drink. Uh, it translates to something like uh, a break for heroes. 
And uh, they even advertise it as, you know, just relax, have a break. And uh, it's a sort of a lemonade that's made uh, with herbs, fruits, and hope, which um, is obviously the right ingredients to make you feel relaxed, especially towards the evening, because over the day, of course, I drink way too much coffee, as I guess many of the <laughs> people listening to us do as well. Um, but then, you know, in the evening, you really should um, relax, and therefore that, to me, is absolutely the right drink, especially now when it gets hot in the summertime and you can sit outside and you put it in the fridge in the morning and then it's nicely cool when you come home in the evening. And uh, they um, even put up some of the statistics and they say that, 70% of the people say that they're stressed and about 30% say that they're exhausted. And uh, it's a team of three people that are located here in Heidelberg, which is very close to Waldorf and uh, Mannheim, which are some of the known cities around Heidelberg as well. And uh, they came up with that. And I really love it because it's a local brand. It's a, a local product, therefore, and uh, it tastes fantastic. Well, I'm glad it does. Lemonade, very, very interesting. I, I have to be very careful here in the South. Matt, I think you can appreciate this because I come from Long Island and there's a special drink called Long Island iced tea. When you order an iced tea down here, they want to know if you want sweet tea. Sweet tea has an extraordinary amount of some kind of sweetener in it. So I had it once years ago when I was visiting and I just be careful not to order it. You have to tell them if you want any sugar in, you want lemonade. But what I'm trying to say is if you ever say you mix the word Long Island with the word iced tea, you're going to get a Long Island iced tea, which packs a punch with a lot of alcohol in it. And I would be flat on the floor in 10 seconds. And so I have to be careful how I order my tea and my, and my lemonade, Simone. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. It's a beautiful day, I think. We started out at 78 degrees. We're tipping up in the 90-degree range. Matt, what's your high going to be in Orlando today? Oh, I think we're probably somewhere uh, going to maybe hit 90 today, uh, but it'll probably feel like 95, 98 somewhere. So, yeah, similar similar to Durham, yes. We've been having summertime weather. We've hit close to 100 a couple times already, and it's still June. And I am not allowed to drink anything with caffeine in it. Uh, Simone said she thought a lot of our listeners were probably drinking coffee. Well, they don't let me near caffeine, especially on Tuesdays when I have two live shows an hour apart. So all I'm drinking is cool, clear water from a pretty mug. And I did switch from plastic straws because I've been reading how they are gunking up the oceans and the waterways and killing a lot of, a lot of fish life, marine life, so I'm using paper straws now. They don't really taste good. Ooh, I hate to say that, but it's ecologically appropriate. So I'm ecologically appropriate with my paper straws. So we're going to take a quick break, the pause that refreshes. We're having a very interesting topic today, already deep into our discussion with my three experts, Matt Broffman, B-R-O-F-F-M-A-N. He is the Director of Innovation at the City of Orlando, Florida. Yay, Orlando! Mike Eberhardt at SAP and Simone Mayenfish at SAP. I'm Bonnie. I plan to be back right after the break. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I promise we'll be back. 90 seconds is all we're going to take, and then we're going to do a deep dive into our roundtable discussion, starting off with some notes from Matt in Orlando. Aaron out. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
do we feed 10 billion people? How can we design a circular and sustainable economy? How will mobility evolve? How can we enjoy lifelong health? These are some of the big questions of today. The world's political, social, and economic leaders, and every single one of us, need to find new ways to create a sustainable and livable planet. Game-changing Megatrends brings you insights from the thought leaders who are working to making this happen. We'll delve into global challenges from health to education, energy, and mobility, and learn how technology can help address these megatrends to create a better world and new business opportunities. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Game Changing Megatrends, presented by SAP. You're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Game Changing Megatrends. Exactly right. We're talking about cities, future cities. Where will you be living, working, playing, thriving, aliving? I like that. I just made up a new verb. In 2050 or maybe even 2030. Here we go. So uh, our panel today, wonderful panel, Matt Brothman at City of Orlando, Mike Eberhardt at SAP, and Simone Mayenfish at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to start off the roundtable in earnest, as my late wonderful mother used to say. I had a date, Matt, once with a guy named Ernest. Came back from the blind date. It didn't go so well. He wasn't very interesting. And I said to my mother, I I met with Ernest and she said, yes, but was he sincere? Just let that sink in for a second. (laughs) Ruth was very, very very witty. No, he he wasn't. Anyway, uh, Matt has told us the following in his notes before the show, and this will really kick us off at a great start. He says, lots of cities are spending a tremendous amount of time and money to be a smart city by deploying sensors, that's Internet of Things, to know what's happening in their city, while at the same time ignoring the best sensors they have their residents. Matt, that is a phenomenal statement. That should be up on a poster somewhere for for anybody involved with the city. So tell us what you mean by it, please. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the smart city term is, is really excited for everyone to, to, to get behind and everyone wants to do projects and pilots. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we've seen is, you know, there's a lot of data and information to be gathered and residents are willing to share it. And it costs a heck of a lot less to ask a resident what they think. Uh, they're willing to tell you that there's a pothole. They're willing to tell you that a park bench needs to be fixed or that a traffic light isn't functioning properly, whatever it might be. Uh, and we don't need sensors yet. We can go ahead and create the infrastructure, if you will, that lets the residents do that. And then when we figure out all the sensors, we'll we'll tie the sensors in and bring that data in as well. But I think we ought to start with asking our residents what they think. So let's just take this a little bit deeper before I bring in Mike and Simone to comment on this. Do you think there's a sense that they don't, quote unquote, trust their residents to tell them what's really happening? Yes, something as simple as, hey, there's a pothole or the streetlight isn't working or the water is dripping and the hydrant out in front of my house or my store, all of that. But do you think there's a, a question of why aren't cities using these human sensors? It's such a great topic. Matt, can you just broaden it a little bit for us? Why not? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think one is it's really it's easier to wrap your head surprisingly around the idea of you know, putting a, a, a sensors in trash bins to tell us if we missed a trash pickup than operationally thinking about, well, how would we have residents tell us when we miss their trash and actually respond to that? And so I think one of that is, is wrapping your head around it. The second is the accountability. And so if a sensor tells you you didn't pick up the trash and then we don't do anything about it, uh, no one's worse for the wear. But if a resident tells us we didn't pick up the trash, guess what? We got to go back out there and pick it up. And if we don't, they're not going to be happy. And so uh, there's an extra level of accountability that ties into it when you're actually talking to residents. Uh, and then there is a concern, and it is a, a justifiable concern, um, and one that we are, are assured with all the time, which is you know not all residents from all neighborhoods and all types of residents are going to feedback. So you might be only listening to the same residents as squeaking wheels. And that goes mm-hmm. into you know, how you get it out in the neighborhoods and, and, and fix that. But I think those are the reasons that people uh, are jumping way quicker on sensors uh, in IoT than they were on just asking residents for feedback on service. Thank you very much. Great comment. Very, there's a lot of depth in that comment. Mike Eberhardt, please comment, agree or disagree with Mike on the use of the sensors that cost time and money when you've got the human ones right there. What's your thought? No, I absolutely agree with Matt. Um, uh, we have citizens, they always travel from back and forward. They always um, uh, try to be a part of the community, a part of the city, and they like uh, actually to, to be a part of the change of the city. And um, um, to get them involved is, um, is a definite added value for the city. But I'd like actually to ask another question to Matt. Um, um, as you know that um, you have the, the data of the citizen, you have the data of where they are working, you know that they are crossing exactly this, this street with the pothole, are you going to plan to inform them that on next Monday you are going to fix the, the pothole so that they can actually think about um, mm. to choose a different uh, direction to get in time to work? Ooh. That is the, the, the future we'd all like to get to. Um, <laughs> I, I, think, I, I think that goes back to that accountability, right, which is it is really easy, and what we do today is somebody reports the pothole, we go out and fix it. We don't actually even tell the resident we fixed it, and it turns out the way we fixed 95% of potholes in 24 hours. That's something we, we should you know, be telling the resident, hey, you reported it yesterday, we fixed it today, or you reported it this morning, we fixed it this afternoon. And we don't even do that. And so, and that's not, you know, because we can't or we won't or we don't want to. It's just the resources and then the underlying technology of how do you make sure all of that happens. And uh, it is really difficult because uh, we have 270,000 residents in Orlando. And the reality is, you know, there are some that frequently report potholes, but most are going to maybe report one pothole this year. And we might not know where they live, but we might not know where they work. And so connecting all of that data becomes uh, incredibly difficult on top of, automating that response in a, in a meaningful and pleasant way uh, and not a, a scary or creepy way either. Ooh, that's, that's a great response. Simone, join us. Yep. Thoughts on what we're talking about with Mike and Matt. What do you think? Um, yeah, I think that's fantastic what Matt is already doing, right? And obviously the citizens' feedback and their experience is super, super, super important because that determines whether they're happy with your service or they're not. Mm -hmm. There's not much in between, right? Um, I do believe, though, that if you combine the experience data, what we also call the X data, right, uh, and the operational data that you will get from sensors once you have them installed, I know that this is, you take it step by step sometimes. Um, I believe that this is where you have the real power because then you can understand the bigger picture around uh, with 
whether it's a service request, whether it's a complaint from a citizen or whatever, because you have different sources and you can better understand what is really going on. And I believe that this is where it can be taken to, let me say, to a next level. Or like what you said, Matt, right? It's the city that we all dream of um, that we will get to. And I believe also an other important point is really to make sure that you have your back end, uh, whether it's the processes or the system, ready to respond to the feedback. Because personally, if I submit a service request to the city, I obviously want to get that fixed. But also, it would be fantastic if I get a response to say, your service request has been taken care of or we have done this and this and this with your feedback. So I feel engaged and I really know that my opinion and my feedback really matters. Thank you very much. Matt, anything you want to talk about to wrap this one up? I'm looking at Mike's notes. It's a a wealth of of topics here and I want to cover one of them. Any final thoughts on that one, Matt Brofman? Yeah, I mean, I think I would just actually bring it back to, you had mentioned on your on your previous show that the, the brand experience is the customer experience. And so yeah. I, I think that the biggest difference between focusing on operational data, which is what cities tend to do, and focusing on that experience data is that's actually what is impacting your city. And so you could be the best at fixing potholes, but if your residents don't know or they aren't happy with the way that, it, that, that the potholes are being fixed, uh, it really doesn't matter. And the experience that residents are going to have is that customer experience. Uh, and I think we've got to definitely always be asking them about it. Absolutely. I just want to add a personal story. I think the three of you will either be giggling or saying, OMG, uh, about two months ago, we, we have a, Matt, I don't know what you have in your city or Mike or Simone, but we have a sort of a, I hate to say sort of a, a semi-automated garbage pickup where in my community, Mondays, Sunday night, you put out the green can with the garbage garbage and the blue can with the recyclables. And only every other week do you put the recyclables. Well, a truck comes by whenever they feel like it and the, the truck knows which garbage garbage can to access and a big mechanical arm comes out. Matt, is this sounding familiar to you? It comes yeah, out exactly and it lifts the can. Yep, lifts the can and dumps the contents and then puts it back. Well it doesn't always put it back where you placed it on the edge of the curb or on the grass. So about three months ago the recyclables people somehow smashed the blue can badly. It cracked all the way down one side. The handle was busted in half. The lid didn't fit and they left it looking like a very sad victim of a of a drive by <laughs> on my grass. So I was horrified. I had, well, I've been here about a year and a half. I was horrified. So I asked my neighbors, what am I supposed to do? They said, call the city. And there's a a number you call. I called the city and I said, listen, unfortunately, we have a dead blue recycles can here. Needs to be removed. Can you replace it? And they said, yes, leave it out at the curb. Well, that created a brouhaha. In my neighborhood, you can't leave a garbage can at the curb if it's not garbage day. You get reported to the HOA, the Homeowners Association. So I was getting all kinds of flack, but I continued to leave it out at the curb. And, and I called the city again. Oh, you're listed. You will be picked at blah, blah, blah. So days later, I was tired of the neighbors gawking and looking and complaining. So I took it in and put it right up at the edge of the garage door in the driveway, more private, but still visible. Well, one morning I'm sitting here in my office, Matt, doing a radio show, and I see a truck pull up, and it drops off a even bigger blue recyclable can, and my can, the broken one, is not at the curb. So I jump up, I run outside, I chase the truck down the block. They couldn't hear me, they couldn't see me, and they didn't care. So now I have two garbage cans. I have the green one that's good, the broken blue one, and the even bigger new blue one. 
So I said, okay, I'll live with it. Well, a couple months later, I decided this is just really not appropriate to have this many garbage cans in my garage. So I called the city again and I said, look, I want you to pick it up. And they said, okay, put it out every day. Well, within 12 hours, I get an email that I've been reported to the HOA again for violating the no garbage cans on the curb rule on a non-garbage day. So I called the city and I said, give me a service number. And they did. So I printed out two signs on my printer in nice dark ink and I taped them with electrical tape. And it said, city of Durham will pick up broken cart. Service number is, please stop reporting me to the HOA. They know about it. And I emailed all my neighbors and I gave the the number. Well, Friday came and they didn't pick it up. Saturday, they didn't pick it up. Sunday, they didn't pick it up. Monday, they didn't pick it up. Tuesday, finally, the following Friday, I called and I said, listen, this is, you know, I'm trying to be a good citizen here. Can I bring it to the dump? No, you can't bring it to the dump. Nobody will be there to take it. We have to log it in. It's got a serial number on it. We'll get to it when we can. So I put it out again and again. And finally, yesterday... A big SUV arrives in front of my house, a black SUV with a supervisor, and across the street, a big white truck comes, and a big heavy set guy comes out, and he takes the can off of the curb, puts it behind the truck, and he starts hammering it with a mallet. I mean, a huge mallet. And I'm sitting here watching this and thinking, OMG, he's going to try to put the lid back on, and he's going to give it back to me? And I start to get nervous because I didn't want it. And finally, he finishes hammering the you-know-what out of this garbage can. It's still there. He's trying to get the lid to fit on, which it can't. And then he lowers the lift at the back of the truck, puts the can on, brings it up, steps it up, and puts it in the back of the truck. I run out in a, in a, a, a long nightgown in a sweater, and I'm waving at him. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now the neighbors are emailing me. Your persistence paid off. We got rid of the damn blue... Matt, is this a normal thing for a city? Seriously? I will tell you, the, the, the story isn't <laughs> in and of itself hopefully a normal thing. But but the, the point, actually, that, that and I, I'm laughing the whole time because we, we have similar stories that, that, that we share and talk about with HOAs and pickups and whatnot. And I think what's interesting is we were talking about the operational data. Your you know, solid waste team is probably looking at their operational data and saying, well, we delivered her a new bin on time. We picked up her bin on time. We did All of these things happen, right? Maybe it took a little too long to get the new one back out. But what they never did to you is to say, Bonnie, tell us how we did. And if they had asked that, they would have learned that there was a challenge with, in this neighborhood, leaving carts out. They would have learned that there's an issue with the, yeah. the trucks putting the bins back down. Not And they don't get any of that. And that's, that's yeah. the shame, right? They think they did a great job. And I'm again, sh- they did. But in the process, <laughs> it was a little broken. Well, I told the woman on last Friday, I said, somebody told me I can bring it to the dump. And you know what she did, Matt? She demanded, who told you that? And I knew the woman's name, but I wasn't going to out her because she was so pleasant. Oh, we're so sorry for your trouble. Maybe you could have somebody bring it in there because I have a sports car. Bring it to the dump and between call first and make sure they're there. And she said, who told you that? And she got mad at me. I said, oh, I don't remember the name. So I didn't want to get involved in that and turning somebody in. Thank you for your response to that. Mike Everhart, I have a wonderful statement here. You sent me such wonderful notes here when you say all city services should be designed from the customer's point of view. I think we just talked about that. We involve, and you could talk about this, the end user in the design thinking workshop. So the authorities understand the needs closely and firsthand. Whether you're a student, a single mom, a pensioner, meaning retired, I guess, a person with a migration background, everyone has different needs. 
Mike Aberhart, talk to us. How does this work? Is this reality for cities you know or where you live to actually involve citizens in a workshop? Talk to me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, uh, based on my uh, job, um, I'm, I'm actually able to, um, to, uh, to get involved in a project around the globe. And uh, I was involved in many, many, many um, design thinking workshops. And I always uh, requested to have citizens in the workshop. And, and the response from the citizens are an, an, an eye-opener for the, the officials. And um, and the response is more or less always the same. They like to have a one-stop shop where they can have uh, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year uh, access. It should be self-explained. It should be with recommendation. If I have a question, um, they prefer to have um, um, a chatbot or a chat functionality where they can ask the question. It should be easy to use and... Um, it should also talk my language, not just my um, mother tongue. It should also talk about, um, or it should recognize words, what I'm using in my daily life to, to find a service or um, to, to, get, to ask a question. Um, just as an example as well, we have done um, a survey at um, South by Southwest in Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. And uh, we asked um, young, bright, um, young people, um, uh, do you prefer um, to call a call center in your city or do you prefer to stand two hours in the traffic jam? Mm-hmm. Guess what was the answer? What? Two hours in the it traffic jam? More than 80% was saying, we prefer to stay in the traffic jam. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Yes, yes. That's like going to the dentist instead of waiting online at a, I don't know, somewhere or other. Yes, yes, yes. Were you shocked, Mike? Were you really surprised? No, no, by far not, because um, um, I'm also a citizen, and um, I yeah. have to deal from time to time with the government. And it is always a hustle. Um, uh, Switzerland is not really rated as um, one of the most advanced e-government service country uh, in the world. Um, we are on position 47 right now from the, uh, from the uh, statistics from the United Nations. Um, and um, I can see that um, um, uh, how other countries, how other cities are doing um, um, e-government services. And I really like actually to also um, to come back to your uh, trash bin uh, mm-hmm. because we just went live um, in with a project in Christchurch in New Zealand, yeah. And they had exactly this case on the table, and um, it usually takes uh, to replace a trash bin um, three to four weeks, and it takes nineteen steps actually to um, uh, to get the trash to the trash bin replacement. And they um, investigated how they can make it more efficient. And now, um, today, um, everything is online. Everything is, um, uh, they reduce the bottlenecks. And then uh, the citizen needs actually three steps, what he has to do online. He gets um, the invoice online. He he can pay online. And he's getting the trash bin in three days. Very, very cool. Can I I move there? (laughs) (laughs) Can I can I pack up and move there, please? 
Thank you. Fascinating perspective. I, I've never heard of such a thing. Simone, join us. Simone Mindfish at SAP. What's your thought on having residents, citizens join design thinking workshops to help the city plan things that are customer-centric, user-centric for a greater customer experience if such a thing exists? What's your thought? Oh, I, I love it. I mean, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, you know what? I actually have an interesting uh, information also about the city where I live in. It's uh, called Mannheim, again, close to Heidelberg that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. And I truly fell in love with the city um, earlier this year when I read about their mission statement. And uh, they put up their mission statement for 2030, and they pointed out that they're actually going online in, a, in line with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Mm-hmm. You may have heard of those. There are 17 yes. of them. And they address really the big, big topics. And when you take a closer look, you find out that you can actually participate. So you can make suggestions on how the city could evolve and change in order to contribute to the SDGs that are the most relevant. You can go online, you can look and see who voted for which SDG is the most important to the citizens, etc., etc. So you can really participate in helping uh, the city to meet these uh, goals. And if you can do that, and you can also do it in other areas, like, for example, with your feedback about your experiences about the garbage pickup uh, or replacement of the bins or whatever. I mean, that's fantastic because then I feel like I'm a part of it um, and I feel like my feedback matters and the city can pick it up and give me better service, right? Because they do know what's going on and what I think and what I need. So, I mean, that's fantastic. Thank you very much. I, I like that positive feedback on that. Matt Brofman, Design Thinking Workshop, such a thing exists for you in the city in Orlando? Yeah, we're, we're, we're running them, but I, I think there, there are, are two things that often, at least I've seen other cities uh, miss, uh, municipalities miss from doing Design Thinking Workshops uh, and, and bringing in residents. Uh, one is it's not just about the end product. And I think we oftentimes, you know, a consultant will come in, bring the residents in, do a workshop, uh, maybe have some managers there, and we come out with this great tool, you know, a couple months later. Uh, the, the big opportunity is to change uh, staff culture. And so we make sure that we've got, at this point, we've had more than 100 staff go through these workshops where they're actually interacting with the residents, and they get to actually empathize and understand what it's like to, to be a resident requesting the service and not just having consultants do that. And the second thing I, I think gets missed, uh, and, and Mike actually said it, which is, I'm also a citizen. And the reality is mm-hmm. every single one of our staff are also residents, maybe not of our particular city, but of a city. And so maybe they haven't reserved a park, but they can imagine what it would be like to go out and try and reserve a park in their city. And so one of the things we do in our workshop on day one is actually have staff secret shop other staff members' uh, services. So they have to watch another staff member try and use their service with someone they know, someone they have a relationship with, and that person can sit there and say, now, this doesn't make sense. Here's what I don't understand. Is they get reminded that, look, you don't always have to you know, be in this pretend world where what would it be like to have someone experience this because we're all residents. And I think the more that our staff are reminded of, look, we are our own customers and you can pretend to be a customer just as much as a real resident can. I like that. Uh, that was something that came up. Uh, thank you, Matt. In Simone's note, she says cities are beginning to think of citizens as customers, not just, oh, them. <laughs> oh, them. Yes, I, I was on the board of directors of my co-op on Long Island, New York for 19 years. And one of the board members used to say, oh, them, 
what did they know? Do we have to listen to them? There were only 96 units in the building, but it was like, are they complaining again? Do we have to listen to them? Does it matter? And the question was, how do you balance the interests of our customers? Basically, were our, our residents are, they were all shareholders. It was a co-op, not a condo. So we all had shares in, in the company, if you will. Very interesting perspective. Uh, Mike, with your permission, I'm going to move on to some notes here from Simone because we're just about at the end of the show. But Simone, I want to have you address this. And then Matt, please get ready with your crystal ball prediction on anything about the future of cities as a mega trend. And then Mike, and then we'll end up with Simone. But Simone, right away, you say experience data is awesome to get your citizens' opinion. But here's, here's a reality check. You say if you, you register a new car with the city and it takes 55 minutes to complete, you don't need a survey to know this is not the experience your citizen wants. So how does this work out, Simone? Is this meaning you say to the workers, did you just notice that Bob Smith took almost an hour to fill out the paperwork and he's dragging down the line and you can't get your job done? You think we need to fix it? So is that kind of experiential data that you think cities should be more aware of, Simone? Um, yeah, it ties back to the uh, the operational data, right, where you can measure things. You can measure your process. You can measure the time that you need to fill out, whether it's, it's an online form or whether it's actually still going to the city's uh, office to do that. Um, and if it takes 55 minutes to complete a registration for a new car, I mean, that's that's not where we want to be, right? It should be a lot faster, easier. It should be done, hopefully, within only a couple of minutes. Um, but then again, it is about asking the, the citizens at the end of how did we perform if we have or think we have provided an excellent service. And it's the mixture of those two data that really make you understand uh, the full picture of, of how you provide your services. Are you fast enough? Are you uh, providing with the right quality, etc.? cetera? Um, and sometimes you can only work and you can understand already things with the, with the O-data to a very good extent. Sometimes it's just the citizen feedback that you want for a pulse check. Or, for example, um, one of the good events that I think I would also like to share today is when you look at the experience data for something that is maybe not the standard city um, operational services like the uh, garbage bins or whatever, but when mm-hmm. you have a big event, right, you can change the experience really with just asking the people how they think the event is going and yeah. you can make great changes along the way. So there was actually a regional event uh, in Germany and it was hosted by a smaller city. Um, they have about 30,000 citizens, um, but they had about 850,000 visitors over 10 days. And they had oh a survey up, they went around and they asked people, how did you get there? How do you like things? Is the quality good, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And they found out very early in the event that people were struggling to find their way to the event, and they mm-hmm. were especially struggling to find parking. So ah. they figured out there's not enough signage, so people were a bit lost. So literally overnight, they could enhance the experience by simply putting up a lot of signs showing where the people need to go and where they can find the parking. And they had a lot happier visitors, right, because they could get there very uh, fast. So I think that's also a nice example to show the power of the feedback that, that you get from the, in this case, the visitors, but obviously be part of these uh, people who are also their own citizens. 
Thank you. Great insights. That's going to be your prediction is more signage in cities to get people where they need to go. I've got 60 <laughs> seconds. Thank you, Simone. That was actually great. Matt Brofman at City of Orlando got 60 seconds for you. What do you predict will change about the future city in the next 10 years? Go ahead, Matt. I think the biggest change is going to be combining autonomous vehicles with uh, flying cars or urban air mobility, call it what you want, is going to really drastically change uh, how we build, where we build, and how people get around cities, and it will look nothing like uh, what it looks today. Is that the Jetsons era, Matt? Are we going back to... Uh, We're we're, we're getting there. Uh, The difference is you won't own it. It'll be like an Uber or Lyft, but it'll be a flying car, and you'll get in on the top of a building, and it'll take you to where you need to go. Wow. So drones for humans. Interesting. (laughs) Thank you very much. That was interesting. Mike Eberhardt, what's your prediction? 60 seconds. I really believe that um, uh, most of the cities uh, realize that they have to come up with uh, new services, services for the citizens, put the citizens in the center of the service. And, um, and actually learn how to offer a better job. Um, um, especially when it comes to, um, to um, uh, elderly people, um, we have an overaging, for example, in, in Europe or in Central Europe, and we have to take care of these people. And um, this is uh, based on the, on the statistics where they say that uh, 15% of the, the population are using 80% of social services. Um, we have to find out how we can help them, how we can reduce the cost and increase the service for them. And this is uh, for every single person, for every single uh, region in the, in the country or in the town. Thank you very much. Simone, I do have 30 seconds for you if you want to add, an, uh, add a real prediction, but that's all I've got. Go ahead, Simone. <laughs> right. Uh, well, we talked about the uh, city in 2050, and I do believe that along that way, the emotional intelligence will become a big disruptor. Maybe not as early as in the 10 year, next 10 years, but I do believe that in the long run, it's going to help us to even get better services and also making our cities um, safer. Um, but it will be a big disruptor. And of course, we have to address it carefully, but then it can also do a lot of good things and not just be scary. Thank you. Oh, we don't want scary. Absolutely not. Mike, I'm moving near you, I think. Okay. Maybe Matt, I don't know. Listen, I want to thank the three of you so much. And of course, thank Tom Conan for putting together this wonderful time. You really outdid yourself on this one. Great minds, very savvy, very in the moment in this topic and great information. So I want to also thank our engineer extraordinaire, Aaron Keller at voiceamerica.com, the business channel. And here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Do it now, especially if you're in traffic. You never know when it's going to start moving again. Go out and be a game changer today, just like Matt Brofman at the City of Orlando. Thank you, Matt. Just like Mike Eberhardt and Simone Mayenfish at SAP. Thank you both. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Business Channel with a brand new series I started three weeks ago called Technology Revolution, the Future of Now, and we're talking about digital ethics Who writes the algorithms, the AI algorithms that might decide whether you get a job or not? Who decides about facial recognition software when you go to a concert? What about your doctor being on Facebook? What are the ethics there? Will there be sensors in your TV that are watching you? It's all maybe coming to a house or a city near you soon. So tune in 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, the Business Channel signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye.
Thanks again for tuning in to Game Changing Mega Trends, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.